0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Will Paul Bernardo's prison transfer be reversed? Burlington has made an important declaration. Hamilton's Open Streets Festival will shut down King Street. Breakup 110 in Steeltown is taking shape. Hamilton will host a Canadian comedy festival this winter. And you don't have to be one of the guys. The GMH podcast begins now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: This issue has become a political hot potato.
2: He knows, and they know that he knew way back then. So, will he do the only honorable thing that is left for him to do and resign?
0: The Honorable Minister of Public Safety. Mr. Speaker, I invite the leader of the Conservative Party to repeat that allegation outside of the House. I will absolutely reject it. This Conservative leader, Pierre Polyev, and Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino going toe-to-toe in the House of Commons yesterday over this issue. Now, we also have learned that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's office says he learned about convicted killer and serial rapist Paul Bernardo's prison transfer on May 29th, the day it happened, one day earlier than Public Safety Minister... Marco Mendicino learned of it, and Mendicino's staff learned about it two months ago, and no one told him? Something's awry. Lee Chappelle is the president of Canadian Prison Consulting and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Lee, good morning. How are you?
3: Good morning, Rick. I'm well, thank you. How are you, sir?
0: I am good. I think, you know, there's part of this story where we're kind of losing focus of the main part of this story, and that is... The actual transfer of Paul Bernardo, right? Was it warranted?
3: Well, yeah, I agree. We're losing uh, traction on the real story. Um, was it warranted, Rick? You know, the, the Correctional Service of Canada operates under legislation, policy, and the majority of people in Canada serving life sentences are land in a medium security prison well prior to 29 years in in custody. Um, So it's uh, uncommon in the length of time it takes for this person to make it to a medium security institution. Um, And I will point out, I think it's important to share that a maximum and medium have essentially the same infrastructure, the same degree of security, perimeter fences, gun towers. Um, So I don't, see this posing a risk to public safety, I don't see him coming out. So again, I think that is the issue. And I would say under the scoring system, their security classification system, the Correctional Service of Canada clearly had a score come out that showed that he was a minimum or medium security inmate and probably have had so for, for a number of years leading up to this.
0: So how does that scoring system work? Is that basically based on good behavior?
3: Yeah, you know, it's three components. Rick. One is institutional adjustment, so that score can drop uh, throughout years where you are charge free, compliant with um, your what's called your correctional plan. The other two categories are where it becomes a little more subjective, and and that is public safety. Um, so when when you're looking at a security level, for example, if you were to go to a minimum and you had somebody who represented a high. Public safety risk, as I would say, this person does. Um, you would you would really want to uh, vet that strongly. And the third category is escape risk, and. That's usually generated through intelligence internally, policing information. I mean, everything's monitored. So after 30 years, they don't have a sense of human being an escape risk, it appears.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Lee Chappelle, the president of the Canadian Prison Consulting. We're talking about Paul Bernardo's prison transfer. You mentioned uh, some similarities between maximum and medium security prisons. What is the big difference?
3: Yeah, the big difference comes down to the internal stuff. It's more about movement. And in a medium, an inmate would have a little more movement throughout the course of a day, out time, let's say, and more availability to programming, which, and to be clear, I, I don't believe uh, uh, Paul Bernardo is a monster in my view, period. I don't believe he should ever see the light of day again, and... Um, I I don't believe there's a program made for somebody like him. So my hope is he'll never get out. But I'm also saying that in some ways, this is much ado about nothing when it comes to whether he's incarcerated and securely incarcerated or not.
0: I guess at the end of the day, the public furor over this is is well warranted, because if there's one individual... Uh, that just rubs people the wrong way and gets oh, people's yes. blood boiling. It's it's Paul Bernardo. So from a you know just an optic standpoint, hey, he's going from maximum to medium. Like what are we doing?
3: So I agree with that completely. I think it's regrettable. The Correctional Service of Canada had not been. Uh, more transparent, and that's I have that issue with them uh, on many fronts, um, far lesser extents than this case. But, um, and the law allows them to be, and particularly with high profile offenders, the Correctional Service of Canada is allowed to be more transparent than they've been. I'm not a fan of the political grandstanding. Um, if politicians truly cared for the victims, they wouldn't be. I don't think grandstanding this in the House of Commons is uh, solely an effort to score political points. Um, and I think it's, it's shameful and un, unfortunate for the victims to see everything surface in our parliament and then obviously by extension through the media. And, and it, I just think it's, it must be really tough on, on the victims.
0: A, uh, a review of this decision is being undertaken. What is the likelihood it's going to be reversed?
3: If I were a betting man, I would say that he, he he will likely go back to maximum. If you recall, possibly a few years back, there was a similar outcry about a killer of uh, Tory Stafford being sent to a healing lodge. Um, and that was, I think, 10 years in on a life sentence. And, and that she was, it was a female offender. She was returned to a medium security institution in Kitchener. And, and the Correctional Service of Canada has the tools to override any score. so when I reference the scoring system and him, him likely coming out as a medium security uh, I, um, inmate uh, when it comes to the point system and how they base that, I would also they always have the ability to override um, these classifications and I, I, I'd like to think that 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 will be done in this case because of uh, I mean Ultimately, Rick, it's conflicting for me because I don't, um, he's a dangerous offender. He's serving a life sentence. I believe he's broken, and I don't think he's fixable. But um, the correctional system has a mandate to rehabilitate offenders for the most part, broadly speaking. And so it makes it really challenging when talking about somebody like this as opposed to people I work with.
0: Yeah, I can see where the uh, that confliction uh, becomes in effect because yes, the the correction system does have that mandate that when people are incarcerated, uh, part of the process of incarceration is to rehabilitate them to put them one day back into society. I think we can all agree that Mr. Bernardo will never get that chance, nor should he. Lee, we'll, well have to leave it there. I, totally I appreciate agree. your I time this come morning.
3: Political stuff. Um, we're not talking about nuclear uh, stuff. We're not talking about national defense. So, emails that were transferred from Correctional Service of Canada to other departments, um, to me, it, it, it's 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 mind boggling. It's when did he know? Who did he know? I, I, I'm not thinking, wow, this is uh, um, unfortunate that it's playing out the way it is. And again, I think about the victims and I empathize um, them having to relive this through, through our parliament. Yeah. I think making a uh, and it's a bipartisan observation. I mean, um it's it's political points, no matter how you look at it. But it's unfortunate
0: absolutely. Lee, thank you for your time this morning.
3: Thank you, Rick. Have a good day. Sir. you too.
0: Lee Chappelle is the President of Canadian Prison Consulting and offering some uh, really thought-provoking insight into the differences between maximum and medium security as you as you heard. Not that much difference between the two institutions. At the end of the day, however, there's, there's so many layers to this. Number one, this, this transfer should have never happened. Corrections Canada should have clearly realized that this is at the top of the list and by a, a fair margin, the one individual that you just do not do anything different with. He should be in maximum security for the rest of his days, period, end of story. And that is all. And so now they're going to have to. I'm sure if they don't reverse this decision, my gosh, there is going to be pitchforks and torches, uh, not only in Parliament Hill, but Corrections Canada as well.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Burlington City Council has declared intimate partner violence and violence against women an epidemic. Counselors at the uh, city and the region unanimously approved this declaration. And here to talk about it is the mayor of Burlington, Marianne mead Wards Mayor mead Wards good morning. Thanks for uh, coming on the show again.
4: Good morning. Thanks for covering this very yep. important story.
0: Yeah. Why, why was this a priority? Why was this done at Burlington City Council?
4: Well, this was brought to our attention by people who work in this you know, work to help women who are victims of intimate partner violence. And it was a recommendation that came out of the Renfrew inquest where three women were murdered by their ex-partner. And the top recommendation was for the province to declare a crisis in domestic violence. And we looked into it to see what the situation was in Hamilton or sorry, in, in Halton. And there are 10 calls a day. That Halton police respond to, it was shocking to hear these numbers and three arrests per day in the city of Halton uh, in the region of Halton. And so, you know, you look at that and you look at the fact that only a third of those calls are reported uh, that, that much more than that is happening. And the police have also said that, you know, in situations where it does lead to a woman uh, being murdered by her partner, and we've had 22 Women in Halton over the last four decades. So that's every other year, a woman dies at the hands of her partner here in Halton. That there's a, there's an escalation, a pattern of escalation. It, it doesn't start with that. It starts with calls to the home, and so you know, nipping this in the bud and understanding what is going on is really critically important. And that's one of the reasons we pass this is to just raise awareness of what is happening and the severity of what's happening right here in our own community.
0: So does anything change with the declaration and, and if other communities kind of jump on board, does the province say, all right, we might have to you know, do something different in terms of funding or, or providing services to people in this situation?
4: Well, it starts with awareness and education. And there has been a huge response already in the community to the declaration that Burlington council approved on Tuesday and regional council yesterday, Uh, People responding, saying thank you for raising this issue. Uh, The province has been a good partner. They approved Kira's Law, which is training for judges to understand coercive control. Not all violence against women leaves bruises. And this comes out of a situation where a woman was uh, advocating for supervised visits for her daughter. Their divorce was very, very challenging. But, you know, there was no uh, what you would say traditional violence and it was it was under uh, underestimated. And so when when they were about to impose supervised visits on the father, he took his daughter to Rattlesnake Point and jumped off a cliff and killed them both. And, and so that was the genesis of needing to educate judges. So the province has done that. It's now federal law as well. And so they have shown that they are willing to be good partners, willing to uh, pay attention and make steps that are needed. And so we think that this will be one more way that the province can assist by declaring a crisis. And there are 88 other recommendations coming out of the Renfrew inquest. But the top one was just recognize the problem that exists. And and it's really hard. To identify and, and realize it, unless you dig into those statistics, because it happens behind closed doors in the privacy of people's homes, and it is so underreported.
0: Well, I applaud uh, Burlington and uh, Halton for uh, shining a spotlight on this and declaring an epidemic. Because uh, yeah, we need uh, other communities to follow suit, raise the awareness, and as you said, nip this in the bud. There's a lot of uh, you know different angles to to get to a safer place for everyone. Uh, but this is a, a great start. So Mayor Ward, Mayor Mead Ward, thank you for the time today.
4: Thank you for your interest. Appreciate it.
0: And it's Burlington Mayor Marianne Mead Ward joining us here on GMH. And this declaration, by the way, comes as uh, yesterday the YWCA Hamilton held its annual Walk a Mile in Their Shoes, and it was a tremendous success again. Not only were about 400 people uh, walking through downtown Hamilton in red shoes in support of survivors of gender-based violence, but uh, more importantly, the the fundraising goal of 150 thousand dollars just yesterday alone was topped. Uh, through the support from the community so that is a great uh, a great story and a lot of help is going to be uh, done because of that funding and that initiative
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: king street east here in hamilton between gore park and gage park is going to be closed off to vehicles this sunday for the open streets festival here to Tell us what is going to happen. Peter Tapolovic, the manager of active transportation and mobility with the city of Hamilton. Peter, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, Good. How are you? Not too bad. We've had uh, similar open streets festivals in the past. Uh, James Street North, I recall going to that one. Uh, Barton Street East. Uh, What are the expectations for this one?
5: Yeah, so obviously this is quite similar to the ones maybe people have attended uh, since 2010. Uh, and uh, the big difference is, of course, it's happening in a in a major corridor for four kilometers uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. So it's a it's a bit of a bigger event. It's probably one of the biggest open streets we've had. And uh, uh, very similar, you know, to the other ones, it's really creating this temporary uh, space like an urban park uh, where you can come and, and recreate, and you know, um, whether it's walking, cycling, or or what have you. Uh, wheeling and uh, going to some activity hubs. There are five activity hubs across the corridor. Where um, yeah, there's uh, about three different activators actually.
0: When you and uh, the gang at the city are getting together and thinking, you know, James Street North have been that. That was a great festival. Barton Street East, that's a success. Big check mark there. And then you go to King Street, which you have just described as is, is a, a bigger monster than those two streets. Why King? Why are we focusing on that stretch?
5: Yeah, well, uh, a lot of the uh, learnings around Open Streets events uh, across the world were, you know, about take, taking up that space on a very large uh, main thoroughfare. At the same time, it, it's the area, of course, where LRT is going to be built, and so there was some idea around testing to see what happens when we close King Street. Uh, what is the impact? to the residents, even though it's a short period of time, from ten to two. It gives us a bit of an idea of, of sort of some data around, um, you know, the closure of the longer term closure for LRT construction.
0: So what do you hope to learn through this Open Streets Festival?
5: Well, first, you know, uh, in terms of this kind of major closure, to better understand how that works and whether it's, you know, a benefit to the area and the businesses, uh, which I think is one of the key pieces of this, and and, and to see how residents, you know, react to um, this type of event because it's not really a street festival. It's really a temporary urban park, which is a bit of a different story. There's lots of things to do, and it, it, it's a very fun, uh, place to be, but it's a little bit different than something like Supercrawl. Uh, but we're also trying to learn about, you know, uh, how transit reroutes and, um, you know, how people experience that and just sort of how, how traffic's impact in general, even though it's a Sunday, uh, just to, to pass that along to, um, you know, those who are planning LRT and uh, uh, yeah, just understand what, what we could do in the future to improve residents' lives during construction. Cause that's really important too, right? Um, you know, making sure that we get through construction in a positive way. And uh, they, I think mean, we call it on the side with a great LRT system.
0: Peter Topolovic is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peter is the manager of Active Transportation and Mobility with the city, and we're discussing this Sunday's Open Streets Festival, which runs from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on King Street East between Gore and Gage Parks. You can find out more information online at hamilton.ca. What are the biggest challenges of putting this on?
5: Uh, I think uh, definitely, you know, this is a major transit corridor, a eh? And it's got, you know going to get even uh, more transit in the future, uh, making sure we, we rerouted transit for the festival in a way that will still serve uh, residents on Sunday. The second, of course, is just the the, the business of closing the streets of this of, of this large area four kilometers. I think the third also was working with businesses because it's really important to to for those businesses who are um, participating uh, that you know they are. Their customers can can get to them, and this is a a way to perhaps build a new new customer bases um, for their future. So, there was a bunch of different things that were going on to coordinate. And then, if you can imagine five activity hubs with forty different activators uh, coming to the street to you know to provide activities for you know children, families, uh, individuals, and and that being a really interesting place to. To come and and get some physical activity, and you know, meet new people in the city, and 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 interact with these different activators. So there's a a few different undertakings going on. I think we had a lot of support from a lot of people, including the police and uh, the special events advisory team, and I think it's really come together. But of course, you know, uh, it's been being planned now for. A good year.
0: It's going to be interesting to see what kind of pressure is put on some of the other streets around King, uh, including parking in that regard, too, because we're wiping away, you know, some on-street parking that would normally have a lot of cars on it. Uh, Doing it on a Sunday from 10 to 2 is probably low risk in that regard, in which you can see how the, you know, where are the pressure points around King?
5: That's correct, yeah, and and we chose chose Sunday, of course, on purpose and in Close to the morning, um, also not to interfere with people's plans. The evening, because it is Father's Day as well. Although a great place to bring your dad out uh, and your families out <laughs> to the street. But yeah, we're going to see some parking impacts too. I think that's going to be really important. So it's not, you know, there's a fun event going on there, but we're also, you know, also very interested in collecting some data and understanding these impacts for the future.
0: What uh, what is the expected crowd size? What kind of attendance are you anticipating?
5: Yeah, so. Many open streets events, you know, they can they get between seven to twenty-five thousand people. So that's kind of the the sort of area where we're looking at. We believe uh, it will be hard also to count because people are are going to be coming through as opposed to staying.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, so it'll be hard to get that count. But yeah, that's that's sort of the the, the numbers that we're we're thinking of.
0: Either way, this is going to be, I think, at least in that four-hour stretch, a very positive impact on the businesses during during that time on that street.
5: Yeah, a lot of uh, different Open Streets uh, event runners across the world have experienced the good, positive benefits for businesses who are open. And we did also uh, deal with the Barton Street and the the James Street Festival. Um, We had a lot of positive impacts from from businesses.
0: Should be a lot of fun. It happens this Sunday, 10 a.m., 2 p.m., the Open Streets Festival on King Street East between Gore and Gage Parks. Peter, thanks for the time this morning, and enjoy Father's Day this Sunday.
5: Thanks. Hope to see you out.
0: Peter Topolovic is a manager at uh, Active Transportation and Mobility in the city of Hamilton. All the details about what is happening this Sunday online at hamilton.ca. I'll be checking it out Sunday. Should be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there as well.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: So the Ticats yesterday came out with a bang in announcing an enhanced stadium experience for the 110th Grey Cup at Tim Hortons Field on November 19th. And if you haven't done so already, you'll want to get your season seats solidified this year because you'll be at the front of the line to access tickets to Grey Cup 110. You can go to tycatsca slash tickets to get your season seat and get to the front of the line or Grey Cup 110. Here to talk about all the cool things that are going to be added to Tim Hortons Field for the Grey Cup is Matt Afanek, President and Chief Operating Officer with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Matt, good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me.
0: Man, there's so many cool features being added to Tim Hortons Field for the Grey Cup. Where do you want to start?
2: Well, it's a great way to put it. And uh, I think the best way to start is is what we're all about, which is just a great fan experience and uh, finding ways and innovative ways to enhance that and evolve that over time. Uh, You know, we've been fortunate to host some pretty major national, international events over the last 16, 18 months uh, between the Grey Cup 108 to, you know, the NHL Heritage Classic, the World Cup Qualifier, the Arkells Rally Music Festival. So, We've learned and taken little pieces of all of those, Rick, and really applied them to what Tim Horton's field is all about, which is a great social experience. People can get up, get out of their seat. There's really something for everyone in addition to what's going on in the field. And we've tried to apply that thinking and put it on Grey Cup scale as it relates to what we're up to for uh, for Grey Cup 110.
0: You're also adding some seats to the donut box. How's that going to work?
2: Yeah, so we are going to get the capacity to 31,000. A normal tire-cut game is about 24 so. Uh, we'll get to see uh, the, the capacity up to 31 by putting temporary grandstands in the north and then adding a collection of kind of uh, enhanced uh, kind of premium experiences and social experiences down in the south. And the best way, obviously, for the listeners to 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 actually get a grasp of that visually is to visit Ticats.ca. You can see put out some great uh, renderings yesterday with regards to what the building's going to look like.
0: Yeah. One of those unique uh, viewing experiences will be the TD lounge suites. Give us a, a little glimpse of what fans can experience when they buy that uh, ticket.
2: Yeah. So there's a, there's a complete restructure of the, of the South end. So for the fans, that's the mountain side of, of the stadium, obviously. So on, on uh, the, on the, what we call the head wall, which is the area, right uh, adjacent to the field, elevated about eight feet. So we're going to build about 12, uh, suites on that location. So those will provide some pretty unbelievable views to the field. And then behind that, I think the showcase kind of piece for the fans is what we're calling Grey Cup Social 2.0. So uh, we're installing a structure and putting seats about 25 feet in the air that's it's uh, not a seated product, a standing product. So people get, get to stand up there. It's actually the entry-level price point to get into the stadium from a price perspective. And, you know, we really saw in, in 2021, Rick, the, the success of kind of the social that we had on ground level kind of spilling out into the plaza was a huge success for us. So, uh, you know, I used the word innovation earlier, so we kind of tried to innovate this and and uh, provide the same value, but really elevate people so they get a much better view of the field.
0: And is that South Plaza area going to be used for tailgating and, and kind of pre-game parties?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll have music, food, um, different things for people to do. And, and for those of the listeners that were at the Heritage, we really Learned a lot from the NHL in terms of how they activated the plaza, and we'll follow a lot of those same principles uh, for dry cup here. But, uh, yeah, the plaza will be available to anyone who has a ticket to the game can come early. Uh, We'll open that up at 2 p.m. Kickoff will be closer to 6.30, and like I said, there'll be music food all sorts of great things to do down there for free of charge for anyone who has a ticket.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Matt Afanek, President and Chief Operating Officer with the Hamilton Tiger Cats as we chat about the enhanced stadium experience that has been unveiled yesterday and will be in effect for Grey Cup 110 at Tim Hortons Field on November 19th. To get your tickets, get Ticats season seats right now at ticats.ca slash tickets. You'll be at the front of the line for access to Grey Cup ducats. For the general public, those tickets to the Grey Cup go on sale. July 1st at 10 a.m. via Ticketmaster. I want to talk, and I'm not sure how much you can divulge, but do we have a plan for, well, I know you have a plan. What is the plan for halftime? Can you give us even even a hint of what's going to happen?
2: Yeah, we are, uh, I will I will put halftime, everyone's favorite question, Rick, uh, <laughs> into the same pile as as everything, which is, you know, yesterday really kicked off uh, a series of, of kind of releases and, and announcements that uh, the fans and the community can expect over the course of the coming months about everything to do with Grey cup 110. So uh, the next thing on the docket is we'll unveil more details about our festival plan, what fans can expect during the week, really, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday onwards through game day. And obviously within that series will be the halftime announcement in time as well. We work very closely with the CFL, obviously in, in the selection of halftime and the halftime entertainment. And, you know, listen, I think we set a pretty high bar with the Arkells in, in 2021. Uh, and we'll look to exceed that bar here in 2023.
0: Yeah, that was a phenomenal show, which uh, took place in the North End by the scoreboard, and that'll be—I guess—that'll be the site of the, the halftime show this time around as well.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, we learned a lot, and that's a—it's a great location to do just the structure itself out there. We call it the Stelco North End for Ticat games, but uh, executing the halftime show up on that structure—it's a lot of efficiencies, mostly in time, right? That you don't have to trot things out to center field and. Um, you know, waste time. So it allows us to provide more musical entertainment at halftime, and just uh, it's a great sight line for everybody. And the sound just emanates perfectly out of the north end.
0: Tim Hortons Field is a great day out at uh, for any cats game. It will be especially so for Grey Cup one ten on November nineteenth. Get your tickets now. TyCats slash tickets. Matt, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Rick.
0: Matt Afanek, president, COO of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And don't forget, apart from what's happening on Sunday at BMO Fields, the Tiger Cats preparing for their home opener on June 23rd against Montreal. And part of that is a postgame drone show following families on the field when there's going to be like 100 drones in the sky lighting up the Hamilton sky with a Cats themed display, so that should be a lot of fun. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of fireworks on the field during the game. Post-game, that drone show should be something to watch.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, here's some exciting news. The Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame has announced a new deal with the city of Hamilton to stage a comedy festival in town and... Also today, voting begins for the 2023 Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame nominees. Who's going to get in? Tim Progosh is the executive director of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Tim, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Tell us about the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. It sounds like a funny place to be
6: do you have a couple hours no, I'm, I'm just it's uh it's a um a not for profit charity that's uh, started uh 2 years ago um to celebrate uh promote and preserve uh, canadian achievements in comedy uh we had some inductions way back in 2000 um When we first started the Canadian Comedy Awards, um, then we um, uh, focused on those for uh, new people as opposed to the uh, older uh, recognition. And then uh, two years ago, we started it up again, and we inducted people last year to ceremony at the Imperial Room at the uh, Royal York Hotel as part of uh, four television specials that are coming up this year.
0: That is pretty cool. So when it comes to this comedy festival, when is this going to be held, and where is it going to be held?
6: Well, you know, thanks to the people, we did a bid process, uh, our organization to, to several cities. And uh, when we met went, met with um, the people at Tourism Hamilton and uh, some of the people who are part of the downtown uh, rejuvenation project, they said they were interested in looking at um some kind of a longer term commitment uh, to hold a festival and maybe build a permanent home in Hamilton and at that time our board uh, was jumping for joy because that's exactly what we wanted too so we have a, a memorandum of understanding to 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 stay in Hamilton for three years and develop the project on, on a large scale but uh, it starts in February of 2024 the 21st to the 25th we've got uh, First Ontario the big uh, concert hall book the small studio levity comedy club uh some ex- exhibit space and it's going to be a, a pretty entertaining festival
0: why hamilton i mean what drew you to the city
6: well there's several several reasons for hamilton and one of them of course is the the huge uh history in comedy um going back uh you know with chch developing uh uh you know party game and uh, uh the house of Frankenstein and uh Smith and Smith the red green show um Eugene Levy Martin short uh, Alana Harkin who's uh, was the showrunner and producer for Samantha B um so there's a lot of comedy and myself as well in my comedy career I used to do shows out of the aquarium uh, in Hamilton it was one of the are the a lot of the comics from around the, doing the circuit it was uh, one of our favorite places to play. But in reality, the the number one reason is uh, them approaching us with a a three-year offer um, to stay uh, and have the festival here and um, offer their support and, you know, in a, a number of different ways. And we're working on the details now.
0: That's great. Tim Progrash is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Tim is the executive director of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame. They've announced a three-year deal with the city of Hamilton to stage a comedy festival in town. It's going to be held at the First Ontario Concert Hall, as Tim mentioned, uh, from February 21st to the 25th. Also of note, we should mention that the Hall of Fame Class of 2023 nominees have been announced. Who's on the list and how can we vote?
6: Well, um, there's a, it's it's a, it's a pretty extensive list. We we try to honor people in three different categories: legacy creator and um, performers. Uh, we have um, uh, some un- unbelievable people um, who are in the hall already, but the ones coming up this year, I can go through the list right now very quickly. Uh, when you get to the legacy um, on the ballot. Uh, we have Rose Willette, Marie Dressler, Olivier Guimond, The Happy Gang, and Beatrice Lilly. Um, if you don't know who these people are, um, uh, we're going to be posting information on the, the website. They're working on it feverishly right now to get it ready. But um, uh, they, if, if you think people are stars now, during their time... They were the biggest in the world and drew more people. Some of the people Rose let sold out a show in Quebec City for 17 years in a row. Wow. 17 years, everything, including the matinees, were sold out. The Happy Gang were the number one entertainers during the Second World War uh, around the world, and everybody knew them in Canada. Uh, Olivier Guimond is a legend, and Beatrice Lilly was, at one point, it was recorded that she was known by more people around the world than the country of Canada. So that's, uh, then we move on to the creators category. We have uh, um, from the returning from the ballot because we do. Rick, what we try to do is like the Hall of Fame. If you're on the ballot, you stay there for five years Mm -hmm. for voting. So we have Sandra Fair, who started comedy. Now Keith Johnstone from Calgary, who who um, originated the Loose Moose, which turned out so many people and most of the kids in the hall, for example. Joanna Downey's on the list, and she ran the most friendly. Uh, open mic night uh, ever in the history of Toronto, and uh, was a great friend to so many comics and launched so many careers. And the last on the creators list um, from before is uh, Robert Gravel and Yvonne LeDuc, and they're from the Ligue Nationale Improvation, which is the start of the whole theatre sports and uh, their version of competitive improv. Uh, is in more countries around the world. Uh, I think it's 35 countries around the world.
0: That is pretty cool. I got to jump in because I I do want to identify some of the performers who are going to be on the Hall of Fame nomination list as well, including, you mentioned one name, Martin Short, Eugene Levy, Jim Carrey, Billy Van, Mary Walsh, all on that list. And people can vote online at CanadianComedyHall.com, correct? Well,
6: absolutely. Uh, you, You have to become a member uh, to vote and okay. uh, anybody in the public can vote on the performers list. Only industry gets to vote on the creators and legacy, but the performers list is, is fantastic. And uh, you know, I grew up watching Billy van and I'm so excited. uh He's, Nominated and the other ones are Casa tv CODCO, Elvira Kurtz, Steve Smith, and Al Waxman. So Hamilton's own Steve Smith is there as well. You vote online, you become a member, it is $25 for life. And as we pointed out at the, the news conference the other day, that's $25 for life, not every year. That is pretty uh, cool. Includes first of line access, includes a participating in the nominations, it includes 15% discount on all our activities for everything. So going to one show pays pays basically one of the galas coming up in Hamilton will pay for that membership.
0: That's a neat idea. Tim, I got to jump in because we're short on time. Voting uh, concludes September 15th. Tim, thanks for your time. And uh, we'll touch base uh, closer to the event as well.
6: Oh, I sure hope so, Rick, and we'll see, we'll see. hope to see you there,
0: too. You got it. Tim Progosh, Executive Director of the Canadian Comedy Hall of Fame.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Well, we've heard about inclusivity from time to time uh, on this show, on other shows, in our daily lives, and it's an important discussion that we have to have. We're trying to become a more inclusive society. When it comes to everyday conversation, sometimes we slip up in that regard. And, I'm hey, I'm guilty of that more often than not, how can we incorporate inclusive language in our everyday conversation? How can we eliminate phrases like, hey, just got to be one of the guys. Hey, guys, let's go out for lunch. Well, I I took in a recent TED talk on YouTube after it was passed along to me uh, from a friend. And I was absolutely blown away at the presentation and got me thinking that, yeah, this makes 100 percent sense. And all of this comes as we get ready to celebrate International Women in Engineering Day. Here to make all those connections is our next guest. Emily Nichols is her name. She's a professional engineer, a McMaster University graduate, and uh, delivered this amazing TED Talk. Emily, welcome to the show. How are you?
7: I am excited, Rick. So happy to be here.
0: I'm happy to have you on because I, as I mentioned, I I was glued to your presentation because I, I was thinking, yeah, I've said that. Yeah, I've done that. And I think a lot of people can relate to being one of the guys.
7: It's true. And uh, as you saw in my talk, being one of the guys was my goal in my early career. I just wanted to blend in and fit in so people wouldn't notice my gender. They would instead notice my great work. That's what I wanted people to see. And uh, that's what I wanted to be rewarded for. But, um, you know, over the years and as I noticed all the different ways that I kind of had to contort myself to to fit in, I well, it gets tiring after a while. And um, when McMaster announced that their theme for TEDx this year was going to be legacy, I thought, like, wow, this is an opportunity to pour all my stories into a TEDx talk about how we can leave a legacy by just changing our everyday conversations. So how did you
0: feel as a woman in engineering, just being one of the guys? I mean, that must have been draining after a while.
7: Yeah, so it's draining after a while. I mean, at first, when I was new in my career, I expected equal treatment, and I would say for the most part, I pretty much got it. Uh, there were, of course, times when there were jokes made at my expense, and you know, I'd find myself laughing along with them because I just wanted to fit in. Um, later in my career, I think I was in my late 30s, I was on a sales trip, and we were going to visit the factory the next day, but there was a dinner the night before and so um, I was there as an engineer and as a senior leader, along with the sales team. Um, and when we went to dinner, I wore a skirt and boots. I mean, it was dinner. I wanted to dress up. And the, the client made the assumption that I was the salesman's wife. So, yeah, that kind of stuff really gets tiring.
0: What's your message to girls and young women, especially in STEM professions, which you are in, but more so to men as well? Because we're, we're part of the solution here.
7: You know, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Rick, because uh, I really do want to reach everyone with this message. So many people make the assumption that I'm trying to reach uh, women in engineering or women in STEM specifically. But this message is really for everybody. Um, because we can all change our language. And because there are so many men in positions of power and leadership, in fact, if we can get you guys to change your language, uh, that can really change uh, the landscape for, for women in engineering.
0: The problem is us guys are usually dumb, and it's going to take us some time to get there, that is for sure. Emily Nichols is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Emily is a professional engineer, a Mac grad, and you can get all the information that you need on her and what she's up to online at Emily. Perhaps one of the greatest aha moments I had in your TED talk was about the safety component and about work clothes that you had to wear to stay safe on the job. Tell us about that.
7: Yeah. um, So my my talk is about language, as you alluded to, and I was trying to demonstrate how the language we we use. Forms our expectations of the world, or reflects what our expectations are of the world. So when we're talking about, hey guys, you guys, I need six guys to do this and two guys to do that, um, it kind of um, we expect those roles to be filled by a man, at least when those words are said in an industrial setting. That is quite often true, and so it those words don't open our minds to the the full spectrum of people who might do a job, um, people of any gender, of any size. But uh, personal protective equipment, things like uh, gloves and hard hats and glasses and respirators. Um, these are all made to, um, well, to fit men mostly. And, uh, it's hard to find personal, personal protective equipment that fits you. And actually in Ontario, the legislation does not require, um, employers to provide personal protective equipment that fits. Um, that's a part of the legislation that is, is missing. And so, um, between the lack of commercial availability and the lack of legislation, uh, women are at risk at uh, at work because we don't have personal protective equipment that fits well quite quite often. And if you think about things like um, loose and long pant legs that could get caught in equipment or gloves with uh, the fingers are too long, they don't fit tight enough, that's, that's a hazard for getting caught in equipment. Um, I personally have never needed to use a fall arrest harness, but you can imagine that that is an absolutely life saving piece of equipment that needs to fit properly. And this is a challenge that women in construction have.
0: You can get more on Emily's message, and it is an outstanding one on our website, emilynichols.com. Emily, I wish we had a little more time, but we'll have to uh, cut it there. Thank you for your time this morning.
7: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Emily Nichols is a professional engineer, a McMaster University graduate, and an awesome keynote speaker. That is for sure. If you're looking for someone to to do a keynote speak uh, speech at your event, uh, she would be one to call, definitely. Thanks for listening to the
1: Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900-CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The
0: Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review you.